we have started. Okay, so we got another episode this week. Um, back on our tools of thought. Uh, last week we had some technical difficulties, and being the lazy bums that we are, we just left the episode up and uh, didn't fix anything. So if you want some out-of-context remarks about first principles thinking from me and some from Nathan, uh, you can listen to that episode. Yeah, or if um, you're good at reading lips. Yeah, <laughs> you're really good at reading lips. Um, hopefully we've been able to avoid those difficulties this week, and so we won't have the same issues again. Um, so what are we talking about this week? This week we're talking about something that I think everyone uses all the time probably, um, and they don't even realize it really or, or ha probably haven't thought sort of uh, in detail about it. I know that was the case for me. Um, and it's the thought experiment. Essentially, um, well, before I kind of say what my impression of it is, Nathan, what do you think, what is a thought experiment? I mean, typically it's just taking a situation and then running through what you think the possible outcomes can be. So, mm -hmm. I mean, that's the way I've always looked at it. I mean, like you said, you don't think about it, but you do it constantly. Like, if you're about to go meet somebody, you think about what's the first thing they're going to say, what's the first thing I'm going to say, if they say this, how am I going to respond? And it's, you don't even consciously think about it, it just kind of happens. But that's typically what I think of as a thought experiment. So, yeah, I think my sort of idea about it ha has been colored a little bit by some of the work I've done in artificial intelligence. Because one of the things that you have to look at in artificial intelligence is imagine you were to program a machine that uh, needed to figure out how to solve some problem, right? Well, one of the ways it tries to figure out how to solve that problem is it run it can run simulations. So set, imagine you've got a little, um, I'll come to the point here in a minute, but uh, imagine you've got like, uh, you know those old 2D games where it would be like a maze and you have to find your way to the end of it or whatever, and maybe there's dangers along the way. Um, you could imagine designing an AI that what it would do is it would run hundreds of little simulations of itself um, all through this maze. Some of them would go straight and turn left and fall in a pit. And some of them would go you know, straight, turn right, and then get eaten by a monster. And, and then some of them would finally make it to the end. You know? And um, so, so running simulations is, is a way to solve certain types of problems in AI. And the way I've after doing that kind of research or work, I think one of the ways I thought about a thought experiment was that you're just running a bunch of simulations um, and you're setting different parameters. So for instance, you could imagine this AI trying to solve um, the problem, whatever it is, like trying to get to the other side of um, the road, you know, the little Frogger game, like trying to get to the other side of the road by, you could change parameters. So you can make the frog jump really, really fast. Or you can make him go slow and then like look constantly to the left and right to see if cars are coming or adjust his speed based on the cars. And so you can like tweak these little parameters. And if you run enough simulations, you'll, your AI will eventually like figure out sort of a very good way to get across the street or whatever. Right. Um, and I think sort of thought experiments can be in a lot of ways like that. It's a way for you to run a simulation uh, in your mind about a particular problem. So that's, that's one way I think of it. Um, what do you think thought experiments are really good for? Um, or like, what are their strengths, their capabilities, that kind of thing? 
Uh, I mean, I think the strength for me is to, which I mean, normally uh, I use them a lot in social situations, but normally I'm wrong most of the time. So yeah. uh, one strength is to show you how little you actually know about the situation. But I know mm -hmm. that's not the point of it. Um, yeah. But in um, reality, I think it gives you a good idea of like how much you understand something. So if you're mm -hmm. talking about like a counterfactual or something, it, mm -hmm. you can be like, okay, what are the what is what actually happened, and what would happen if I changed one thing? Because then you have to know about all the things around it, so that if that one thing changed, how would it affect those other things? And then you can build from there. So I think it can give you a good understanding of how much you know about something. Which is interesting, right? Because you're really you're just running all these in your head. Yeah. So it's just running these little experiments in your head can actually give you an understanding about the world around you, which I think is uh, pretty interesting, actually, when you think about it. Um, but uh, you mentioned the term there, counterfactual. I think maybe we could talk a little bit about that. So in terms of thought experiments, there have been a lot of, uh, I looked up the Wikipedia article, and there's actually a lot of different terminology around types of thought experiments. So you just mentioned counterfactual, which is sort of um, imagine, you know, we're at this point in time right now, and the counterfactual, we would go to the past at some point in time. And then we would ask the question, what if we changed one of the uh, input variables, right? So. Uh, in my sort of way of conceptualized thought experiment, it's a set of parameters or input variables that we have, and then we can run a simulation, and then we see you know, what the outcomes are. And we can tweak those um, parameters uh, and then run the simulation again and again, et cetera. And what you can do is you can kind of figure out the probabilities of what would likely happen. And the counterfactual version of this is we go to the past, change a parameter, and see you know, if um, y happened instead of x. So if we had some other value there, would the outcome have been the same? Would it have been different? Whatever. And, and so that's sort of the idea of counterfactual. There's also ideas of uh, uh, what we, what's called a prefactual, which is where you know you don't go into the past. You just look at you have to set the parameters for now and then run that simulation into the future, mm. and then have outcomes. There's also what interestingly I found, and I think this was actually mentioned in the chapter, but it's uh, a semi-factual which I didn't know this, but it's sort of like, if you look at if X had changed, um, what, what, under what conditions, how much could you change things and the outcome have remained the same? So for instance, um, with a semi-factual, you might be able to ask a question like, how could the results of the civil rights movement have all been sent, have been the same, you know, mm -hmm. uh, removing the Jim Crow laws, Etc. Um, if um, MLK had never existed, or if certain other civil rights leaders had never done the things they did, yeah, you know, you could look at well, would the outcomes have been the same? Was there a side guys or not? And then I don't know what the answers are, but you could run those types of simulations. That's sort of the idea of a semi-factual. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I think you're right. As a when you're when you're running these. Um, thought experiments, it does give you sort of uh, ideas about what you do and do not know. And I think they're very useful for that. I think where they're probably the most useful, though, is is that you can do them for things that are impossible to do in reality. 
you know, well, I don't know the most useful. I would say another attribute, right? Because they're also really useful about giving you an understanding of the relative likelihood of things. But also, you know, you could say, um, how could I, you know, we're programmers, and a lot of times you have to worry about the performance and cost of something. But you could just say in your thought experiment, well, what about if I just ignore cost? Or yeah. what about if I ignore time constraints? And you can just throw those out the window and run your simulation and still come to interesting results. Um, for instance, there was, uh, there's a guy, I'm trying to remember his name. I can't remember his name right now, but he's a AI researcher. And, you know, everyone's trying to figure out what would be an artificial general intelligence, something that could think and reason like a human, basically, at least at that level. And sort of he said, well, what if we threw out the requirements for um, space and time? So we just said, you know, I don't care if it takes an infinite time to compute the results, and I don't care if it takes infinite resources. Could we, under those situations, create a mathematical formulation of a general intelligence that's equivalent to sort of human intelligence or better? And he was able to do it. Now, that is interesting because it can tell you about some properties of intelligence. Now, eventually you would hope that you could find a transformation of that sort of understanding into something that was also didn't use infinite space and time, right? Um, but uh, that's something that you can do in thought experiments is you can, uh, you can just create your own sort of realities and variables and run experiments that way that you can't necessarily do in the real world, Yeah, you know? Um, and so I think that can help you sort of realize how to reach your goal, you know, cause that's what really what you're trying to do. Like with my example, running a simulation for this AI to try to get across the street in a Frogger game, you know, you're trying to achieve some particular goal and thought experiments are really useful in helping you, um, to achieve that sort of broadly speaking, you know, I think, well, I wouldn't say that's their only feature, but I think that's one feature they have. Yeah, yeah, I was gonna, I was gonna yeah. complain about your statement. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But, yeah. Uh, uh, really, what I'm, what I'm describing are, are aspects and not the entire. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so I think what is important though, and I think when most people do the sort of thought experiments, it's kind of sort of a daydreaming, not really active process. And I think if you want to be, you want to get the maximum utility out of a thought experiment, you do need to be rigorous with it. You know. Um, you do need to sort of approach it like in a, in a more scientific way where you're actually explicit about the question you're asking. Um, you're actually doing sort of background research to inform yourself about the relative probabilities of things. Um, and then you want to have sort of a clear hypothesis based on your question, etc. And then you run your test is the thought experiment or the tens of different thought experiments you have or getting other people to give you their opinions. You know, like if you want to figure out what was likely uh, a counterfactual in history, you would want to read not just what one historian thought, but what different historians had proposed, you know, yeah. maybe ones with completely different views because they're going to have different probabilities and weights that they put on the likelihoods of events to have happened, you know? Yeah. Well, I think most people um, spend their time doing prefactuals. Um, so they're constantly trying to think about trying to protect something in the future based on simulating it. Mm -hmm. um, so like for that, I think the biggest thing is just remember that thought experiment you had and then yeah. try to see if you were accurate at the end of it. <laughs> and I mean, like, I'm guilty of not doing this all the time where it's like you think through yeah. some situation, some event, something at work. Mm -hmm. And then when the thing actually happens, you've completely forgotten about 
you thinking through it because it's just one of those things that naturally happens in your head before you go do something. Have you actually done this? I think in one of our podcasts, I might have already mentioned this. I don't know. I know I've definitely mentioned it to you before, but in just our regular conversations. But have you actually sort of protocoled and written down uh, one of your thought experiments and then um, also gone back to it after you've had uh, you've encountered whatever your goal was and whether or not it succeeded or failed? I mean, in my case, it was almost incessant failure. I don't even know if I succeeded on anything where I was right about the causes. So the thing about a thought experiment is you will say, okay, well, this is going to happen. And this is going to happen. You have to say why. This is going to happen because of ABC or whatever it is. Yeah. You know? And it might be the case that, that you know, Z happens, but it didn't happen because of, what you, of the reasons you thought it would happen. Yeah. You know? I, um, have, I have not done that. I need to. I've written down my predictions on things, but I haven't yeah. written down my, why I think they're going to happen. So yeah. I need to be, I need to be more rigorous about that. I might start doing that in my um my journal. It's it's super interesting if you do it. It'll make you uh, extremely humble. Like if you're already not convinced you're an idiot and you know nothing, mm -hmm. um, it will certainly um, humble you massively. <laughs> or at least it did me. Maybe I'm just like n equals one. I don't know what it's like if you got hundreds of people to do this, but um, yeah, it, it makes you certainly realize how little you know. Yeah. And especially um, how readily you are, if you're right, to just accept the conclusion that you were right, as opposed to saying, okay, I'm only right if also my reasons for the causality of that conclusion are also correct. That makes it even far less likely that you're ever correct. Yeah. You know? Um, <laughs> So, uh, yeah, so, so we've talked about sort of the strengths and the capabilities of thought experiments, but what do you think are their main weaknesses? Uh, your own knowledge, I think. So the amount of information you have in your head. Like, I don't know, I, I know nothing about war too. So if I did the counterfactual for like, if Hitler never existed, I would mm -hmm. not get very far. Like, yeah. you know, I just don't have enough information to even start thinking about the other things that would have happened. You know, I think you're right. I think its strengths are, you know, like a lot of things in life, um, you know, good is inherently tied to bad and, and, and joy is inherently tied to sadness. You know, mm. uh, you can't really have one without the other. And I think with thought experiment is sort of the same thing. You have all this power that comes from you being able to just do everything in your mind and being able to throw variables away or add variables or change the probabilities of them. But that's but the real danger about it is that you are stuck in your own mind. So, and you know, and you only know what you know, Yeah. you know? So I think um, when you're, it really helps a lot in your thought experiments to get other people's input, you know? Yeah, I, it's a, I mean, those are my favorite conversations to have is thought experiments, mm -hmm. to just say, what do you, mm -hmm. as a, what does everyone think if this event didn't happen? And then just get everyone's opinion, talk about it, and then you can get so much more input from that. Oh, definitely. Yeah. Definitely. And, but, but I also think still the danger there, there's still another danger. So even when you're getting a bunch of people's perspectives, it's that you are sort of the advantages, you're able to do these things you wouldn't be able to do in the real world. The disadvantage is that these things are not tied to the real world. Yeah. <laughs> so you're, you're not actually running the experiment in physical reality. You know, it's, it's all made up in a sense, you know. So I think that's another disadvantage that you at least need to be aware of. Yeah, definitely. Um, so I guess now, 
one thing I would like to talk about is sort of like, what do you think are the areas that thought experiments would be the most useful or are the most useful? Hmm. I, I like using them for work situations. Mm -hmm. So, um, thinking through what will happen if we choose this technology or I go ask this person a question or things like mm -hmm. that and then go through the different situations and what I think the outcomes will be. So I, I yeah. think they're very useful for working with a group of people. Mm -hmm. um, but other than that, I am not very rigorous about using thought experiments outside of um, prefactuals. Well, I mean, I think you're right there to sort of expound upon that a little bit. I do, you, you know, you can sort of run these mini thought experiments in your daily, like your work life or whatever, mm -hmm. you know, and I think it helps you a lot if you're just get into the practice of running them um, to, I don't know, it, it, first of all, if you're preparing for a meeting and you're thinking about what's going to happen in the meeting, how people are going to react to different things, what arguments can be brought against a particular, you know, um, software decision or programming decision you're going to make. Um, first of all, you're sort of emerging yourself in a, a particular scenario. And then when it doesn't happen, you're instantly aware of the differences and you sort of readjust your um, priors. So I don't, I'm not going to go into Bayesian statistics right now, but you readjust like your understanding of reality based off of that. And um, I think it's just very useful. You learn how people behave, how they act. And if, and if you're co cognizant of that, it makes you it gives you a better understanding of the world around you and of relationships and everything else. So I think just sort of in, in the day-to-day, -day, it's uh, it's great. I think where it's really useful though, um, and they mention this in the chapter too, is when you have um, things that are physically impossible to do. So anything that, that actually is impossible, mm. um, then it can be very useful. Like the they mention Einstein um, imagining what it would be like to be accelerated, to be standing in an elevator, right? And you're feeling the force of acceleration, okay? As, as you're getting pulled through space. And at the same time, you're standing in an elevator, or not same time, but just now imagine the scenario, you're standing in an elevator and you're experiencing the force of gravity on earth. Would you be able to tell the difference, you know? And he concluded, without being able to actually do that experiment, he concluded, you know, you wouldn't be able to tell the difference. Yeah. So, so there's a, so then, you know, following that line of thought, well, then there's a correspondence or an equality between sort of general acceleration um, from Newton and this idea of um, gravity, like they are the same thing. And then he was able to, you know, with a lot of help from brilliant mathematicians to come up with the mathematics of that for his um, general theory of relativity. And I think, so, sort of, so that's a real strength. If you think, if you encounter something where you're like, okay, it's really impossible for us to do this in the real world. Well then, oh, okay, well it's time, maybe we should use thought experiments for this, you know? Yeah. Um, as we talked about, uh, we've already kind of mentioned this several times, but his, historical situations, because, you know, history, is the simulation that's only run once, mm -hmm. right? So you can't rerun it. And really the only thing you can use to think about 
to really learn from history actually is is the thought experiment. But I think this is something interesting I want to ask you about. But I think a lot of people think about history incorrectly. Like, for instance, some um, president will be elected, something bad will happen or whatever. And they'll think, well, if a different president had gotten elected, then it would have been good. Mm -hmm. Then things would have been better. That's a very sort of naive, um, I think, approach to the way, you know, thought experiments should be wrong. Mm -hmm. um, what would be a different example? Like, for instance, you would say, oh, well, if Hitler, it would have been a, a net positive for the world if Hitler had not gotten to power. You know, yeah. it seems like most people without thinking about it in any detail would say, well, that's just straightforward, clearly obvious, right? I mean, he, he murdered millions of people, et cetera, et cetera. But then you start going and looking back at the historical context of, of his rise and uh, it becomes less and less clear, you know, because you realize, oh, well, anti-Semitism was rampant in every country. Um, you had, um, you know, Nazi sympathizers throughout Europe and not in minor groups. I mean, these were vast amounts of citizens, you know. Yeah thought that you know this there was a superior race and that jews and blacks and and indigenous peoples were very low on the totem pole and didn't have the intelligence or iq of other um you know whatever western caucasians whatever it might have been and, and then you see that that hitler and that entire ideology because humanity was able to see the the darkness and utter like it was one of the darkest hours in human history in terms of ethics and, and morals and everything else that um you know the whole world was in, to a large extent able to turn away from all those ideas and you don't know if it would have been able to do that had that not have happened you know um, yeah it's very hard to say so yeah. i don't yeah, know like I, I just, go ahead i was just gonna say like if someone had came in and wasn't as um aggressive as hitler like his was very much a genocide and if they had been less genocidal what mm. like maybe the maybe the world at the time would have accepted it you know maybe the world would have accepted yeah. it maybe we maybe we'd be living in a world where that was the currently accepted paradigm yeah that's not um that's not ridiculous when you go back and look at what people were thinking at the mm. time the way the world was headed you know yeah um, yeah, so, so I think it's, go ahead. What, what do you think, like that, that exact counterfactual that we just went through, mm -hmm. what exactly do you think you got from that? In what sense? Like, it, like we went through that. What do you mm -hmm. feel the purpose of that thought experiment was? Like just to prove that the people that said the world would be better are mm -hmm. incorrect in their thought experiment or... Like, no, I think the purpose of it for me is, and this is important to note when you're doing historical um, analyses, is that there is no right answer. You can never definitively say. So if if I run an experiment now, um, a scientific experiment, and I control it correctly, you know, it's double-blinded, whatever, um, and I run it enough times, and I get enough results that are consistent with my theory, well, then I can sort of build up uh, over time a relatively high degree of confidence that whatever my, you know, uh, independent variable is, is a direct, has a direct causal influence on my dependent variable, like the thing I'm trying to figure out, you know? 
Um, with history, you cannot do this. All you can do is sort of figure out relative likelihoods and, and, and sort of probable causes. You can, you, but that's about it. Like, there is no definitive answer you're going to get from any of this. It's, um, how can I describe it? It's because such, uh, I guess it's, because so many things are influencing so many other things. Yeah. Well, it's also like you're saying like relative chances of something happen. It's even hard to put a number on that, I would think. Like how how can we say that it's a mm -hmm. relatively like I I like it's a gut feeling for me, but maybe you can go into this more. But like I can say that it's a relatively high chance that the world like would be it could be the chance that the world would be okay with anti-semitism still today if Hitler wasn't mm -hmm. such a good example of like a genocidal maniac. So, yeah. but I don't have any like numbers to back that up. It's just mm -hmm. the, me looking at the way people were at the time and what you've described to me and my gut feeling is kind of telling me that, but yeah. maybe you have, I don't know, a better way of thinking about that gut feeling versus an actual number. Yeah. So I think the gut feeling versus actual number, um, where is my quote unquote, at the end of the day, lots of things are gut feelings, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, what I'm t telling you is based on, I mean, I did at least have a degree, uh, and I studied this for a couple of years at the university in this topic, you know, specifically this topic. Um, so uh, am I a PhD in it? No. Were the people I was listening to that, uh, that told me this stuff, did they have PhDs? Yes. You know, so it's, so at some point you also have to sort of like trust external sources, you know? Mm -hmm. And you have to say, well, I'm going to rely on these different views and perspectives that people are giving me. And so in that sense, you are always a function of your environment and your context. You know, and that's why I think it's really important, like I said before, um, to get different views and different perspectives on things. You know, yeah. because um, otherwise you're just going to be in your enclosed circle and you're, all you're going to view is the world through this like narrow lens and think that you are in some way correct. You know? Yeah. Um, but, uh, yeah, so I think we mentioned that. We mentioned the physically impossible but and, and sort of the historical. But I think another one that's really interesting is sort of the philosophical and the ethical. And this is where I think thought experiments come to play a lot. And that's because a lot of ethical things, especially with humans, are impossible to test ever. Mm -hmm. So it's, it kind of overlaps with that thing like physical impossibility. But um, it allows you to do sort of ethical experiments in your mind that you could never do in the real world and sort of figure out like the nature of human morals and that kind of thing. Yeah, like the trolley experiment. I think it's the most famous one. Yeah, so uh, tell us about that. Um, so if I remember it correctly, essentially you're a guy on a trolley and there's one person on one track that the train's going to, or there's four people on the track that the train's going to and one person off. And you can either... Yeah. Do nothing and let the train run over the four people or flip the switch and the train kills one person. And depending on your like basis for philosophy, like utilitarianism or something else, you'll go through like why you should kill one person or why you should do nothing because in action yeah. you didn't actually do it. It's, yeah, so it's a fun one. Yeah, so um, that's very a very good description, very close. One thing that I think you forgot to mention that's important is that it's a runaway trolley. So there's no yeah. breaking, there's no stopping. You have to run over and kill people mm. or at least a person, you know, there's no avoiding it. There's nothing you can do. So that's made clear at the outset. So you're running straight on the tracks. And there's like five people standing there on this track and you notice, Oh, right at the last minute. Well, there's this last little, you know, 
cutoff track that goes to the side, but there's a, you know, a person standing there. And, but if you, but you can pull the lever and then you can kill that one person and save these five, you know, do you do it? Mm. Um, that's a question you can just pose and, and you can answer it for yourself, whether or not you would do it and other people can answer it. But they, and then if you change little, you, you know, you can change all kinds of little variables on this. So you could say, well, what if the five people standing there are all like, you know, 75, 80 year old people and the person on the track is a little five-year-old child on the other track. Do you do it then? Yeah. yeah. And you'll start noticing that, um, you know, ethics is not, it's not a numbers game. It's not a robotic numbers game by humans. Um, if you ask these questions to 20 different people, you'll get different answers. There might, you know, there's sort of a distribution, but you'll still get different answers and different choices that people will make. Yeah. And what's interesting about this then is if you take a different scenario, but it's, it's in many ways similar. Um, it's the doctor experiment. So imagine you have one very, very sick person. Um, no, this is it, sorry. You have five very sick people who are all gonna die and you have one healthy person. But, and you can take the health, the organs from the healthy person, you can save five people. Yeah. Do you do it? And those five people will live long and healthy lives. Are you not? Yeah. You know, most people would say no. And then you, you can, but you can tweak variables on that as well. You can say, well, what if that one person is uh, older? You know, mm. what if the other people are young? What if that one person has done something wrong or yeah. is um, morally ambiguous or whatever? You know? um, so I think in this area, the thought experiments are really interesting because they tell us a lot about the uh, nature of our own natural ethics and moralities. Yeah, well, they can tell you a lot about yourself. That's, mm -hmm. uh, that's what I like about them. And, yeah. yeah, you can really get an idea of what you actually think about situations. Yes, yeah, yeah. Especially if you're very truthful with yourself. Like if you're if you run these for yourself and you answer truthfully, a lot of times what's interesting about this to me is that you uh, it's hard to even know how you yourself would really respond. Mm. You know, this is again where you sort of run up to the to the problem with the thought experiment is that it's not actually in the physical world. You know, so even if you're trying to really honest with yourself and you're saying, you know, I would pull no matter what, I would save the five people and kill the one person. Mm. Does that mean that when you're actually in the situation that you would do it? Yeah. And you don't know. And that's the thing. And so that's, again, back to the errors and problems with the thought experiment. We could ask hundreds of thousands of human beings and we could get some maybe 90 percent say that they would always pull the lever. Yeah. But then if we were to actually run the experiment, we could have a completely different result. You know, people say things all the time, but don't do them. People say things about themselves and believe them mm -hmm. and they're completely false. You know, yeah, um, and this happens all the time. <laughs> and this is why <laughs> being able to do actual experiments in the real world world is so important for understanding it. And it's, again, one of the eras, um, or one of the drawbacks say, of the thought experiment. Yeah, I guess it depends on what you're looking at as the outcome of your thought experiment. Like, mm -hmm. typically with a philosophy thought experiment, at least what I would think is you're trying to get down at, like, the the core ethic value of either yourself or, like, some idea you're exploring. Mm -hmm. You're not trying to figure out your behavior in a situation. Like, that would be a different thought experiment. Yeah, I would think, or an actual experiment. Like, you, you you need to know what your goal is. My goal isn't to find out if I would pull the lever or not in actuality. My goal is to figure out 
why I value this decision over that decision or inaction over action. Mm -hmm. So. Yeah, it's not necessarily to figure out how it would work in reality. It's only necessary to understand how the ethics are in your mind. Yes, in the case of philosophy. The yeah. other ones, no. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so I think that's um, about all we had for thinking on, um, you know, with the thought experience. I'm trying to think about um, if I had any other examples thought of. Do you have anything else you'd want to say about thought experiment? Um... No, well, I mean, I do now. I do want to start um, having some um, some that I write down, and then yeah. come back in a week and see how inaccurate I was. I feel like that'll be a <laughs> fun a fun use case of showing me how literal I know. I'll tell you what the um, so there's different types. So if you want to do this, you can do it for people, mm -hmm. which I think people. Um, you can sort of train yourself and improve over time. I've noticed that for people because you learn um, sort of the psychological characteristics of people, what certain people like to hear, how, what they respond well to, what they don't, you know? Mm. So it's uh, definitely interesting using sort of thought experiments on people um, because you can notice where you're wrong. And when you make adjustments, you'll notice improvement. Yeah. Um, I think the difficulty is for me, was with different systems. So I used it uh, mainly when I was doing stocks. And so if you have really complex systems, it's very hard to learn much at all out of it. You know, uh, my biggest takeaway after when I was doing sort of my reasons for buying stocks and why I thought they were going to go up or go down was because I, I thought I could learn over time to make better predictions. But um, I'll just give you an example. So I bought, um, what was it? I was looking at automotive stocks and I thought that the that Tesla was extremely overvalued, right? Mm. Compared to Ford, at least when you looked at everything that they were actually doing, like cars produced, um, amount of research, all this other stuff, you know? Mm. So like any practical number, it seemed like, you know, Ford I think was like $10 a share and Tesla was like 200 something at the time. And it just, it made no sense to me just from looking at the numbers, you know? Mm -hmm. um, so I was like, well, I definitely should buy Ford, <laughs> <laughs> you know, cause they had, they gotten a new um, CEO and he wanted to do more investment in renewable energies and batteries and all the stuff that Tesla was doing anyway. And I had been reading about what Ford had been doing and they had had a research department, fairly large research department, I think in that area for several years, you know? Yeah. I mean, more than just a couple. Uh, it was like a decade or something. Anyway, so I was like, well, this makes total sense. Uh, by the numbers, they're clearly way better than Tesla. And, um, you know, they're doing all the research and focusing future forward as Tesla is as well. You know, yeah. so I was like, well, I'll, I'll just invest in them. And the stock basically never moved. I ended up making a little bit, little bit on it because it did go up for a little while. And then I just got lucky and sold. And then it went down for some unknown reason. Uh, <laughs> you know, uh, and the thing, what I learned and Tesla stock just kept going up, you know, and I'll just compare that to, and there's, and the thing is, there's just, there's no real reasons that I could find for why one happened and one didn't, you know, there's, then there's sort of the gambles you can make. And let me give you another example. So I own stock in, 
um, God, what was it? AT&T. I owned AT&T stock, and they were going to do a merger with Time Warner. And Well, that was on the table to be able to do a merger with Time Warner. And, uh, you know, I thought, well, this will go through because they have to do look at these um, what do they call them when um, big companies buy each other whether or not it'll be just a monopoly there's some particular oh the antitrust laws yes so there's some like antitrust group that has to look at it to make sure that it's not like going to be the next microsoft they have to split up or something mm. anyway i thought well this will go through this will be big because now at&t internet in your home it's going to have all this streaming the next cable all this other stuff and that's what they were talking about yeah well um you know, uh, it ended up, I don't even know if it went through, but it ended up dragging on forever and ever and like with every setback. So if some judge would come out and say, you know, we're not going to do it, then the price would tank. Uh, and then if and then if there was some little piece of news where, oh, well, it looks like it's going to go through, then it would go back up. But the you could never predict what is a judge going to say or what is this piece of news um, that's going to come out in two weeks. You know, it was just... Uh, it just seemed so random and chaotic. There was no way to really learn from that experience. But what I did notice while doing this with the particular stocks was that the entire time the S&P 500 kept growing. <laughs> and it was that point that I realized, well, look, I should just invest in ETFs because overall the markets are growing. Mm. But individual stocks, there's just too much randomness that I can't understand and can't predict that's going to happen for me to be able to, um, you know, accurately make money on the things anyway yeah. that was sort of my short experimental <laughs> results from that uh, yeah i did a similar thing with microsoft and um tiktok because they were supposed to take over the tiktok um in the u.s and that fell through luckily though you know randomly microsoft stock went up anyway so i made money but still <laughs> like yeah did not get that right at all yeah, exactly and, and and that was just sort of like every everything i did when, yeah. when doing specific stock investments you know and the thing is even if it had gone through i don't know if you run that experiment uh you know a hundred other times if it goes through over 50 percent of those times you know is it just luck are you doing better than just random luck here or are you actually making decisions that matter yeah. you know <laughs> um yeah. So anyway, I would highly recommend people to do the to note their thought experiments, their reasons for why, and then also, um, you know, come back to them and revisit them after that account. Yeah, after, definitely. after it's happened. I'm definitely going to try it. Hello? Can you not hear me? Oh, I think I lost you for a second. Oh, What'd okay. you say? Uh, I was just going to say, I'm definitely going to try it. All right. Well, <laughs> Um, I guess we got our, what is this, Nathan, our fifth podcast? Yeah, minus the one with no audio for me, but, you know, it still counts. Yeah, it still counts. I, yeah. You, you only say a few words anyway. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you barely notice I'm here anyway. <laughs> All right, cool. All right, we'll catch everyone uh, next week. All right. All right.